0: And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6 and verse 16, this would be lesson four on our confession of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the, notice all the fiery darts of the wicked. So just hold that in your mind just for a moment and we're talking about our confession of faith but also it's important to understand that confession also brings salvation confession is engaged and involved in forgiveness we confess our sins confession also is involved in our praise our lips confess to his name as an act of worship confession we talked about is also that which brings faith faith comes by hearing and when you muse that means you speak to yourself in a thoughtful manner you're confessing the word to yourself and then there's that confession of faith and that's that word that goes forth when you declare something speak it in faith, mountains are removed trees are uprooted, devils have to flee and everything that's foreign to life has to bow its knee so as we continue our study I want to first share just a little bit about the book of Ephesians like a short outline. When Paul who who got his revelation from Jesus Christ himself, wrote this to this church, he shared some thoughts that were important to their spiritual growth and development. And notice, first of all, he talked about doctrine and he talked about the riches that we have in Christ. And one thing he brings out is our possessions, our spiritual possessions that we have in Christ. And these possessions come to us by way of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Notice in Ephesians 1, 3, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing from the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us with a few spiritual blessings. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So where did all these blessings come from? The Father. Now, how did that impact my life? I make my declaration. I speak it to myself to bring faith. I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. Know what that tells me? God doesn't hold back one thing. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings. So if the enemy tries to come against me to tell me I'm not blessed, I'm blessed. I'm already blessed. And who blessed me? The Father. With all spiritual blessings. But then secondly, Jesus is involved in blessing us. And giving us our possessions. Look at, look at verse 7. In verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Say it with me. I have redemption. I have redemption. We should never say that lightly. It took his blood to purchase our ransom. Our redemption. We're d- completely delivered from the powers of darkness. And translated into the kingdom of God. Because of the blood that he shed. It includes the forgiveness or remission of sins. According to the riches of his grace. So in Jesus, I've got this possession. I'm also accepted in the beloved. But then thirdly we've got the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 13 and 14. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost has provided for us possessions that we all have in Christ. In whom we also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And whom also after that you believe you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So we all have the Holy Ghost indwelling us empowering us enabling us so God the Father God the Son God the Holy Ghost provide possessions for us and there's many more things he talks about there but then that's our riches in Christ secondly he talked about duty everybody say duty that talks about our responsibilities we're responsible our duties include number one walking worthy of our vocation think about that the walk of the believer is to be worthy of our vocation that's not talking about us being worthy you've been made worthy by the blood of Jesus you are worthy that's talking about walking in a way that God will respect you you're walking worthy of your calling calling is your profession your vocation so we've been called to walk worthy before the Lord, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we live our lives. And the first thing he talked about was walking in humility, humbling ourselves before God. Humility is our attitude. This deals with attitude before God. Meekness is our attitude toward men. But God wants us to walk humbly before him so he can exalt us and lift us up. How do I do that? Every single day I acknowledge without you I am nothing, I know nothing, I have nothing, I can do nothing but praise God all that I have all that I know all that I can do all that I am is found in you it's all in you that's walking humbly before the Lord there's not one thing you can do in life if it were not for him in your life ask Nebuchadnezzar he'll tell you that secondly walking in purity walking in purity this is talking about this deals with our moral character he talked about how God wants us to walk. Not in the vanity of our minds. Not catering to the lust of our flesh. But walking in moral purity. And then he talked about walking in harmony. Supposedly today we celebrate Valentine's Day and really it's just another way for people of the world to make more money. Come on, say amen. amen. Isn't it true? Isn't that what it's all about? And you're, you feel guilty if you didn't go buy that candy or flowers or something, right? If it takes that to let your wife know how much you love her, something's wrong. Something's wrong. He talked about walking in harmony. And he talked about husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now that's saying a lot. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's saying a lot. Then he goes over to parents and children. Parents, he says, see to it that you don't overburden your children and choke them out. But children obey your parents and the Lord. Because this is right. Why? That it may be well with you and you live long on the earth. So that relationship is supposed to be one of harmony. But there's a blessing to it. But then he goes from there. What does he say? And then you employers treat your employees with respect. Employees See to it that you work hard for your employers as and to the Lord. Now what's he doing? He's talking about harmony. He's talking about duty. He's talking about responsibilities that we all have. If we want the best that God has to offer, we have to walk in such a way so as we command his respect. He respects us when we walk and live our lives and conduct ourselves in that way. But then next, he said, walk in victory. Victory. And victory is dealing with the opposition. We all have opposing forces of darkness. He talked about, remember, in that same chapter, chapter 6 of Ephesians, he talked about your warfare is not with flesh and blood. You realize that? It's not people. But principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, those are our enemies coming against us to destroy us and have schemes designed to bring us down. Well, walking in victory is really what we want to talk about so we can overcome in this life so look at Ephesians 6 16 again and let's kind of break this apart notice three things above all one taking number two fiery darts number three so above all above all things now as Paul as Paul shared these blessed truths he came up with two prayers that he felt were essential and necessary to pray in order for the people to fulfill what he's talking about his first prayer is found in Ephesians 1.18 he prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened so he he prayed for enlightenment open up, we sing the song, open the eyes of my heart Lord you realize you can sit there, you can hear some words but they don't sink into your heart and get down here it's the heart that has to be open remember he talked about Jesus when he was here on the earth he said teaching the parable of the sower they have ears but they don't hear they have eyes but they don't see right a heart but they don't believe don't understand and he says unless you hear with your ears see with your eyes understand with your heart and convert or change then you can't be healed we all need healed we all need healed delivered from ourselves this natural part of us that can't see anything You realize that? And so he prayed, open up their eyes. Let them be able to see the riches of the glory of our inheritance and the the saints. The exceeding greatness of his power that belongs to all of us. See, unless our eyes are open to that, we're not going to walk in the light of it. But then a second prayer he prayed was not just for enlightenment, but also for us to be enabled to do it. Divine enablement is what he prayed for, strengthen them with might by your spirit in the inner man Ephesians 3 and verse 16, strengthen them with might by your spirit in the inner man, you cannot walk in victory on your own it takes the power of the Holy Spirit within us, imparting to us all that is necessary for us to rise up and stand victorious against all the opposing forces of darkness, so number one he says above all everybody say that with me above all all. and when you hear that you might think he's talking about this is the most important thing but if you look at that in the Greek what it actually means is in front of all in front of all so in front of all things do what? take the shield of faith so that you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked so in front of all take your what? shield of faith okay well, let's have a little question and answer period. Did you bring your shield of faith this morning? Can I see it? Would you show it to me? Where did you get it? Walmart? Kmart? Marks? How much was it? How much was yours? What you pay for yours? Well, what color is it? If we're supposed to use a shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the devil, what does it look like? What is it? I think we need to answer that question. Don't we? Because he said that's the thing that quenches the fiery darts. And remember, when you use that terminology, he's talking about a Roman soldier who has his shield. And you remember the fire darts? They're arrows they would light on fire. Can you imagine one going in here with a fire on it and just starting to burn you alive? What they would do They would have leather on the outside of the shield. And they would soak it in water when they went out to battle. So if a dart came, an arrow came, and stuck into the shield, the water would quench it. So he says, in front of all things, do what? Take your shield of faith. Okay, if it's a shield of faith, then it's not a natural weapon. Or protective device, is it? it's your confession of faith it is your confession of faith that quenches the fiery darts of the devil do you remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil three times what did he say every time it is written each time what he did was he quenched the fiery darts of the devil so that the devil wouldn't win and he would have the victory well we need to do the same thing. But I want you to see something here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13 because this really helps us define what our shield of faith is. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore what? Speak. That's our shield of faith. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 beginning at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of warfare are not carnal or natural, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down, notice these words, strongholds, casting down imaginations, so strongholds, imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every what? Every what? Wait a minute. Does he really mean every thought? Every thought until the obedience of Christ. Now he teaches us how to engage in warfare, spiritual warfare, and emerge victorious. Our shield of faith is, I, you could say this, it's comprised of the knowledge of God that we receive, which is truth, and we take that truth and declare it or speak it which becomes our shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the devil. In John 8, 31 and 32, what did Jesus say? Continue in my word, you're my disciple indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So our shield of faith is comprised of truth that comes from the word of God that we put in our hearts and our mouths and we speak them out like Jesus did. So when the devil came along and said, turn those stones into bread, he said, it is written, when he said jump down the angels will catch you he said it is also written you don't tempt the Lord your God when he said bow down and worship me he said it's written again it's also written again thou shalt worship the Lord thy God him alone shalt thou serve you see he quenched every fire dart of the wicked by doing that and the scheme that he had let's say devised against Jesus failed so he couldn't win the victory taking the word taking it actually means to pick up to take up or to pick up well if I could pick something up I can also leave it down you realize that you can leave it down you can pick it up taking or picking up the shield of faith that you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil so I'm to take it up I'm not to allow the thoughts the suggestions and the imaginations that come into my life notice the thought imagination stronghold. Notice the progression of that. It starts as a thought. It then becomes an imagination. And then it becomes a stronghold. And before you know it you're actually bound by it. You're doing it. You're yoked up together with it. Satan has won his victory. He's controlling your life. Your thoughts. So a thought, it begins with a thought, becomes an imagination. In other words you see it. Someone says, can you teach me how to meditate? I sure can. Think about your worst problem that you ever had and how it just haunted you day and night and all you did was think about your problem. Simple thing to do. Now turn that whole process around and just put the word of God in your heart and mouth and start thinking about the victory that you have in him. Same difference. Only one's going to work for you. One's going to work against you. In Acts chapter 5 verse 3 I want to show you how this works. Ananias and Sapphira sold their house for a certain amount of money and they were told did you sell your house for so much money and they said yes well they were lying they were deceiving they sold it for more than that but they kept back part of it for themselves Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land you know the rest of the story he fell over dead who filled his heart to lie to the Holy Ghost you see Ananias didn't put up a shield of faith when the devil came along he just said say that you sold it for so much besides it's yours anyhow keep part of it for yourself you'll look good and still have money is what he was saying he should have stopped right there and just said uh-uh I refuse to be a part of anything like that I will speak the truth see that would have been a shield of faith He fell over dead. Then then he got his wife and she did the same thing. If you don't put up the shield of faith to quench the dart of the devil and extinguish it, it will burn in you until you act upon it and then what happens? His scheme works and you're destroyed. Remember Eve? Hath God said? Hath God really said? Oh, you're not going to die. You're going to be like him if you partake of that tree. Besides, look at the tree. Look how nice it looks. Look at that luscious fruit that you can have. So what does she do? She th- it's a thought. It's imagination. It's a stronghold. She plucks it. She eats it. She gives it to her husband. Where did it start? With a thought. How do you quench the fire darts of the devil? How do you overcome it starts with a thought bring every thought captive to the obedience you see if you don't know the truth of God's word if you don't continue in God's word to find out the truth that's why I'm not preaching about culture I'm not preaching about current events I'm preaching to you the word of the living God so that you and I know how to put this word in our hearts and our mouths so that we have the weapons of our warfare which are mighty through God to pull down those satanic strongholds. How about this one? Be angry but sin not. You angry? Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't you go to bed angry? Someone says I've been so angry I haven't forgiven this person for about five years. She, really? You don't know the first thing. About what Jesus did for you. Because the most important everything he, he did for you. Was to take away your sin. it cost him his life to do it. You need to forgive this. He forgave you. See the devil has you exactly where he wants you. But you don't know what they did to me. It doesn't matter what they did to you. You're to forgive. You're to walk worthy of your Lord. And your Lord gave his life for you. You forgive no matter what they've done. So. Eve didn't do it. What about Samson? He didn't do it what about David when he saw Bathsheba he didn't do it you see when you put up the shield of faith you'll quench the dart if you don't put up the shield of faith you're not going to quench the fiery dart of the devil and he's got a scheme fiery darts look at your next point fiery darts those are satanic schemes of destruction satanic schemes of destruction you realize he has a plan to destroy our lives as a matter of fact every single one of us whether we realize it or not potentially is a danger to the kingdom of darkness and so he has a scheme a destructive plan to destroy our lives number one first of all to keep people unsaved to keep people lost more than anything he wants to take people all the way with him into the lake of fire and he'll do everything he can to blind people's minds so that they can't see the truth and be liberated he'll make you think you're okay because you're religious He'll make you think you're okay just because you do good works. He'll make you think you're okay because your grandmother was a strong Christian and you're going to go to heaven on her coattail. Not going to happen. He'll make you get offended if someone tells you you you've got to be born again. He'll take you down a path because he has a scheme of destruction for you that'll get you further and further step by step away from God. And if you're a child of God, he's not going to stop you know why? even though you're saved he want to make your life miserable here on the earth he wants to destroy you so he wants to keep you unsaved but then also he has a plan to prevent your spiritual growth and development speaking the truth and love you grow up into Christ in all things he wants to destroy that he does not want you to grow up into Christ in all things he's come to destroy your life he's come to destroy your marriage your family relationships anything that you hold dear he's come to destroy and he's got a scheme to undermine it all a plan that he's devised to do it it's up to us to recognize that he has these and hold up our shield of faith and say you can't have my marriage you can't have my children you can't have my relationships you can't have my family as far as I am concerned praise God I'm gonna hold up my shield of faith I'm not gonna put it down you say what do you mean by putting it down Well, the moment you get a little bit upset because you're offended a little bit because it doesn't seem like it's working you put it down he didn't say pick it up put it down pick it up put it down pick it up put it down once you hold up your shield of faith and you stand against that thing that's coming against you your family your child your marriage whatever it might be you hold up that shield of faith and you refuse to put that shield down i've exercised my faith god's at work on the project as far as i'm concerned i'm victorious period let God do the, the work that needs to be done. Let him have his place. And also, he want to pr- do things that will ruin your witness and tarnish your testimony. He'll do that. Put you in a situation where maybe you act out of character when it comes to your Christianity. You know what that's devised to do? Make you ineffective as far as your influence is around other people. Places you go. Yeah, he calls himself a Christian, but look at what he's doing. Look how he's living. Look what's happened. Look how, You should see him act in public. We're all going to be challenged that way. And what's his scheme? What's, what's the goal of it? To ruin your testimony. Your witness. Tarnish it. See to it that you're ineffective in what you're saying. May you might be so bold as to say that your most important reason for living on this planet is to represent Jesus Christ as an ambassador. You realize that? That is the most important thing you can do with your life so if he tarnishes that if he ruins your testimony you won't be as effective in reaching other people people ask all kinds of questions is this okay, is that okay you know what, the thing is this will it promote bringing others to Christ or it will deter people from coming to Christ will it promote a godly lifestyle or promote a lifestyle that is ungodly you see, that's what it's all about. You are to let your light shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But he has a plan devised, like I said, to destroy your testimony and tarnish it. And also, he doesn't want you to uh, finish your course. He'll try to get you off course, bump you off course, distract you, get you so far off course that you don't fulfill the work that God's given you to do. You know, we all have a work that God gives us to do. We have a vocation, a high and holy calling. You know, it's not just going to church once a week. It's not what it is. Find out what it is. God has a plan for your life. A plan to advance his kingdom. And if that unfolding of that plan means that you've got to sacrifice, then all of us should be serious enough with God to say, I sacrifice. When I was called, I went off a thousand miles away answering the call of God upon my life I didn't know if I'd see my family ever again but God was gracious to bring me back to a place where I'm only an hour away less than an hour away from my family and I thank God for that but I was willing to go a thousand miles away to do what God had called me to do now going back to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 hold up your shield of faith and stand against the wiles of the devil look at this verse after saying to these people look this is your inheritance this is what you have you got these duties and responsibilities socially okay relationally okay then he goes on and says finally the word finally means what's left to do what's left to do after all i've shared with you what's left to do look at this be strong in the lord not in yourself in the lord and the power of his mind how can you do that there are no spiritual weights to lift there's no spiritual track to run on how do we get strong in the lord there's only one way, get strong in the word and get filled with the Holy Ghost, Strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man, and you're strong in the Lord, so if you're fighting against, standing against unseen forces of darkness, you and your flesh, you're no match for that neither am I, but I'm not supposed to be strong in myself I'm not supposed to be strong in the Lord, how am I strong in the Lord? put his word in your mouth and heart and whenever he says or makes a suggestion that you're not going to make it (laughs) you counteract that with it is written, it's written, the word able it means that you're competent, you're qualified, you're sufficient, you're sufficient in strength power and skill, he says the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be what? able competent qualified, see what qualifies us, what makes us sufficient in skill, power, and ability to stand against the wiles of the devil being strong in the Lord, and then he says we battle not against flesh and blood but against all these unseen forces, against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be what, able, competent, qualified, sufficient in what, skill, power, and ability to do what to withstand in the evil day. Having done all the stand, do what? Stand. You know what? Believers need to take a stand. We need to rise up and take a stand and be proactive when it comes to our faith. Take that stand and you're going to have all kinds of opposition coming against you and so am I. But you know what? Doesn't matter what comes against us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world verse 14 look at what it says here's the first piece of your Christian armor stand therefore having your loins girt about with with what? truth and stop right there your loins girt about with what? that's the belt he's talking about that holds all the other armor in place so that part right there is so important I have to have myself my loins girt about with truth so I'm not deceived by the enemy that's his greatest tool That's the only way I'm going to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the only way I'm going to be competent, qualified, sufficient in skill, power, and ability is by making sure that I girt myself with truth. He shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth shall make you free. So when the devil shoots his fiery dart my way and tells me that God doesn't really care about me, doesn't care about my life, what am I going to do? You know how many people take their lives because they think nobody cares? and you realize that's not, that battle is not just within themselves you realize they're listening to unseen forces of darkness that are speaking to their minds oh yes maybe they've heard the words of parents that over the years just said you're not, you know, nobody nobody cares about you, you're not going to amount to anything and all that sort of thing, I know people have had rough times in their lives but you know what, the time comes when you're a little bit older, put that behind you get responsible for your life and for yourself and start standing strong and tall and start declaring what the word of God says 1 Peter 5, 7 Amplify Bible, look at what it says so when the devil says to you, no one cares about you casting the whole of your care 1 Peter, all your anxieties all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him for he cares for you affectionately and about you watchfully okay, so what am I supposed to do? when that thought comes to me I'm going to look at that verse of scripture right there and just say, my God cares about me affectionately and watches over me, watchfully. Yes, that's your shield of faith. That's what you're going to declare. And for example, he comes along and he says to you that maybe you're not strong enough to handle that situation and you view yourself that way. And we all have done that. But your shield of faith says, but I can do all things through Christ who's my strength. Philippians 4.13. I'm going to hold that up as a shield. Shielding myself from the thought. Before it becomes an imagination. Before it becomes a stronghold. A fortified place. That I walk around. Mope around through life. I'm never going to make it. I'm I'm never going to amount to anything. You can do all things through Christ. Who is your strength. Stop looking at yourself. And start looking at Jesus. He is my strength. And so I can and I will overcome. And obviously we're all challenged and I know this is going to be very impacting you're going to die you're just going to die it's all there is to it you know how many times I've heard testimonies of people that have actually died prematurely died young and they said they said I'll never live beyond a certain age they had this for some reason notion that they were going to die young you know why because the thief comes to steal to kill and destroy that's why and so at the first sign of a sickness or a disease, it could possibly be terminal or something like that. Immediately you're bombarded, your head's bombarded with what? I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Psalm 118 verse 17 says, I will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. That is our shield of faith that says, look at, look at it all together. I will not, I shall not means I will not die but I will live, and what? Here's why I want to live. I'm not living for myself. I'm not living for anybody else. If I live, or if I die, I belong to the Lord, so I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. You take that, you embrace that, you pull that into your heart, and you keep on saying it till it becomes a reality. And there's other scriptures that you could tag along with that. Why should a man live out only half his days? Many do. Why are we arming ourselves with the word? Remember, no one's perfect, but we're talking about something to aim for. Every single one of us should have a desire to reach the highest place we can in God. And then I love this one. Uh, God doesn't really love you. God doesn't really love you. God doesn't really love you. Well, How many times have we heard that whispered in our ear? many times. You know why? Because you see your faults, you see your failures, you know your inadequacies, and you really wonder, does God really, really, really love me? You know, I I went and got this because as I was in during worship, it just impacted my heart so much. I have to share this with you. You know how many people feel as though that healing is not in the atonement? And how many people think that it's basically based on God's sovereignty? If he will, he will. If he won't, he won't. You see, if it's in the atonement, everybody has a right to be healed. If it's not in the atonement, then it is according to God's sovereignty. Okay? Well, I want you to, as I read this to you, I want you to let this sink into your heart and ears. You know, we're, we're coming up, we're going to be celebrating the Easter season. And usually we look to the cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection and we do somewhat focus on the scourging but in Matthew we're told that Jesus was taken from Pilate to be what scourged you ever think about that and when the Bible says that he loved us so much that he laid on his life he bore our sin in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live to righteousness by whose stripes you were healed And I want to show you to have any kind of a mindset that says that healing is not the atonement is such a disgrace and such a slap across the face of Jesus that it's almost blasphemy in my opinion. Because you see scourging is nothing to shake a stick at. When he went from Pilate he went to be scourged. When you go to be scourged you go to die. And if the Bible talks about this is how much he loved us. Remember this. God could have skipped over the scourging part and just let him go to the cross. You realize the cross was just the end of it all? The true suffering. Physically. Was the scourging. Listen to this. And let it sink into your heart. Scourging was a part of execution by the cross. It came in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. But it may be supposed that Pilate did not know that every stripe laid upon our Lord by the scourge was a fulfillment of the word of God. The connection between the chastisement and crucifixion is not often stressed, but there still exist inhumane examples of chastisement as a prelude to execution in unchristian nations. Dr. George Benson, a long-time president of Harding College, related how he witnessed an execution in China, where he served as a missionary. A young man was caught for stealing, condemned to be beheaded, he pleaded that he did not want to die. Now remember, what he did was he stole something. But the cruel authority said, Just wait. You will want to die in a few minutes. Then they stripped him, lashed him to a tree, beat the very flesh off his bones, knocked out his eyes, his teeth, and then to the question, Do you want to die now? The unfortunate meekly nodded assent and a moment later his head rolled in the dust scourging is so horrific he would gladly accept death that was that man for stealing can you imagine if some of these practices were practiced today (laughs) young people can you imagine if you got caught stealing something or maybe one of your friends did and let's just say everybody got got all the youth that you know together in one place like this here and said this is what happens to someone who steals you think that might deter stealing just a little bit I would think so wouldn't you you see that's why when they were rebellious children in the Old Testament they were stoned and once you got stoned you brought all your group together do You think that might deter children from being disobedient to their parents? Just a little bit? Are you following me so far? So when someone says that maybe healing is not in the atonement, what they're actually saying is that God didn't love you enough to heal you. But John 16, 27 tells me, for the Father himself loves you because, why? You, believe on, you love me and believe I came out from God. So I want you to hear what healing is all about. I want to show you that it's the love of God. For every single one of us. God so loved the world. I want to show you how much he loved you. And if this doesn't inspire us. To hold up our shield of faith. Don't you dare ever say from your lips. God doesn't love me. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now. It may feel like God is a million miles away from you. When you hear this. You will never ever say that God doesn't love you Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-six tells us Pilate had scourged Jesus before he delivered him to be crucified so we need to understand what it meant to be scourged the Greek word reveals to us it was one of the most horrific words used in the ancient world because of the terrible images that immediately came to the mind when a person heard this word so we're going to talk a little bit about that. When a decision was made to scourge an individual, the victim was first stripped completely naked so that his entire flesh would be open and uncovered to the beating action of the torturer's whip. Then the victim would be bound to a two-foot-high scourging post. His hands were tied over his head to a metal ring. His wrists were securely shackled to the metal ring to restrain his body from movement. When in this locked position, the victim couldn't wiggle or move trying to avoid or dodge the lashes that were going to be laid across his back Romans were professionals at scourging they took special delight in the fact that they were the best at punishing a victim with a brutal act once the victim was harnessed to the post and stretched over it the Roman soldier began to put him through unimaginable torture one writer notes that the mere anticipation of the first blow caused the victim's body to grow rigid the muscles to knot in his stomach the color to drain from his cheeks his lips to draw tight against his teeth as he waited for the first sadistic blow that would begin the tearing open of his body. The skirt itself consisted of a short wooden handle with several 18 to 24 inch long straps of leather protruding from it. The ends of these pieces of leather were equipped with sharp, rugged pieces of metal, wire, glass, jagged frag- fragments of bone. This was considered to be one of the most feared and deadly weapons of the Roman world. It was so ghastly that the mere threat of scourging could calm a crowd or bend the will of the strongest rebel. Not even the most hardened criminal wanted to be submitted to the vicious beating of a Roman scourge. Can you imagine some of our recent things that we had going on in our country? If you just took one leader and scourged him, what that would do to a crowd? Okay, let's keep that in mind. Most often two tortures, not one but two were utilized to carry out this punishment, simultaneously lashing the victim from both sides. As these dual whips struck the victim, the leather straps with their jagged sharp cutting objects descended and extended over his entire back. Each piece of metal, wire, bone, glass cut deeply through the victim's skin into his flesh, shredding his muscles and sinews. Every time the whip pounded across the victim, those straps of leather curled tortuously around his torso biting painfully and deeply into the skin of his abdomen and upper chest. As each stroke lacerated the sufferer, he tried to thrash about but was unable to move because his wrists were held so firmly by the metal ring above his head. Helpless to escape the whip, he would scream for mercy that this anguish might come to an end. Every time the torturer struck a victim, the straps of leather attached to the wooden handle Would cause multiple lashes as the pieces of metal, glass, wire, and bone sank into the flesh and then raked across the victim's body. Then the torturer would jerk back, pulling hard in order to tear whole pieces of human flesh from the body. The victim's back, buttocks, back of the legs, stomach, upper chest, and face would soon be disfigured by the slashing blows of the whips. Historical records describe a victim's back as being so mutilated after a Roman scourging that his spine would actually be exposed. Others recorded how the bowels of the victim would actually spill out through the open wounds created by the whip. The early church historian, Eusebius, said the veins were laid bare and the muscles and sinews and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. The Roman torturer would so aggressively strike his victim that he wouldn't even take the time to untangle the bloody flesh-filled straps as he lashed the whip across the victim's mangled body over and over again. If the scourging wasn't stopped, the slicing of the whip would eventually flay the victim's flesh of his body. With so many blood vessels sliced open by the whip, the victim would begin to experience a profuse loss of blood and, and bodily fluids. The heart would pump harder and harder, struggling to get blood to the bo- parts of the body that were profusely bleeding, but it was like pumping water through an open water hydrant. There was nothing left to stop the blood from pouring through the victim's open wounds. This, blood of, this loss of blood caused the victim's blood pressure to drop drastically because of the massive loss of bloody flu- bodily fluids he would experience excruciating thirst often fainting from the pain eventually going into shock frequently the victim's heartbeat would become so irregular that he would go into cardiac arrest this was the Roman scourging for those who think this promise refers to spiritual healing only in First Peter 2.24 the Greek word emphatically says it's physical healing it was those stripes that he bore during the scourging that healed us so the real promise of bodily healing that belongs to all of us who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ belonged to us because of the scourging Jesus' broken body was the payment God demanded to guarantee our physical healing just as Jesus willfully took our sins and died on the cross in our place he also willfully took our sicknesses and pains on himself when they tied him to the scourging post and laid those lashes across his body that horrific scourging paid for our healing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now you know how people say Paul had a thorn in the flesh and they call that a sickness they don't read on because it says the thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan an angel of Satan and some have said He had eye troubles. He had problems. You ready for this? Hold your seat. Sit tight. Jesus was scourged. Paul said five times. Five times. I had 40 stripes, save one. Five times, 39 lashes. And do you know why the Jews only gave 39? because the 40th one meant death now imagine Paul was sickly if a sick man can encounter that five times and once or three times rather beaten with rods at the bottom of his feet so he couldn't travel what I just read to you he encountered five times five times incomprehensible and someone says does God really love me (sighs) for the father himself loves you for God so loved the world he gave up his only listen begotten son husbands love your wives the way Christ loved the church, end of marriage counseling, you don't need to hear anything more, did you just hear that, what more do you need, lay down your life I can't imagine 39 stripes, now remember this he was not being scourged by the Jews, he was being scourged by the Romans and the Romans had no such law and after his scourging, he had to carry his cross no wonder why they had to get Simon of Cyrene to carry it for him. do you see how small minded we are and even beginning to comprehend and may I say this If this doesn't inspire us to live for Christ. That's just the physical suffering. And we have all these people. Oh that's just spiritual. That's just all. That's nothing but a lie of the devil. A fiery dart. To make you think less of your Lord. So next time. The thought comes to your mind that. God doesn't love me get a copy of this and read it over, it's not based on what you're going through, it's based on what he went through for you, and guess what he gladly died on that cross if you can imagine after that then he's nailed to a cross, he's at the point of death, no wonder he died before, all the, before the, they had to break the legs of the other ones so that they you know, would die sooner but Jesus had to die before the sunset, he was dead they pierced his side to prove that he was dead that's how close he was to death from the scourging but if you can only begin to imagine that kind of punishment and then think he bored for you to be healed your body should be dedicated to him to serve him and live for him and we'll close it you'll never have peace of mind really Jesus said in John sixteen or John fourteen twenty seven, "My peace I give you. Peace I leave with you, not as the world I give gives give unto you. My peace, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid." So when th- something comes against you, to uh, let's say disrupt your peace, think about this. there's more scriptures I listed there for you that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee Isaiah twenty six three, and then be careful for nothing Philippians four let the peace of God rule in your heart and mind, Colossians and finally you're not going to succeed, young person out there take that verse of scripture Joshua 1.8 instead of just thinking that this is religious and you're just coming to church on a Sunday get a hold of this sword of the spirit which is the word of God and then above all put in front of you and all your vital organs the shield of faith and you start saying, don't tell me I can't make it because I can do all things through Christ who's my strength. Don't tell me that problem's too big for me to handle because greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Don't you tell me I have no peace of mind that I'll never have peace of mind because you know what? He gave me his peace. Not that the world gives, but the world, he can't give it to me, but I have his peace and I've got peace with God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Don't tell me that healing doesn't belong to me because with his stripes, or you could say by his scourging I was healed. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. That's your shield of faith. Don't tell me I can't witness to somebody. I'm an ambassador for Christ and I'm bold as a lion. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife Krista and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school,